You're listening to the podcast series for the 2017 Shalom Sydney Jewish Fighters Festival. I'd like to welcome Jessica Friedman to the Shalom Sydney Jewish Writers Festival podcast. Hello, Jessica. Hello. Now, let's talk about your book, Things That Helped. For the people that don't know, what what's going on in this book? What's it about? The book is a collection of essays that kind of work to function as a memoir and I guess a bit of a social cultural history as well. I had a pretty rough run of um, severe postpartum depression after I had my baby boy five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to use it as a lens to explore some of the things that we don't necessarily talk about very much and steer away from, I suppose, that narrative of the recovery memoir because it's very much a situation that I still find myself in. And any illness, but I think particularly mental illness, can work very... It can work well to reveal things about the world that seem taken for granted maybe by those people who are just healthy and mm. full of enthusiasm for life. When you when you think of pregnancy and babies and all that kind of thing, there's such pressure in society for it to be the best and for you to be happy in that situation. We were talking about that this morning at this morning session as well, uh, about the fact that pregnancy is often talked of in a way that's almost acquisitive, like, oh, you're getting a baby, you're having a baby, but it's just like, like we're getting a new car, we're mm-hmm. having, <laughs> we're buying a new coffee table, we're having a baby. You know, the baby until you meet it is really objectified because it has to be, it doesn't have any subjectivity yet. And it's easy to have that kind of optimism and... Um, I just, I guess, a discourse of positivity around something that is just so far an object. But then, of course, when the baby comes along and it reveals itself to have a personality, I think that's when the pressure does kick in a bit. And for some people, it does seem very much to spark off a competitive urge to make sure that people know that they're doing it right. You know, that their coffee table is the best coffee table. So, yeah, there is that pressure to, you know compare levels of the child's growth rates and all, all that kind of stuff. Are, are there, since you've written this book and it's, it's come out, have you sort of discovered a whole lot of people that have come out that actually you know, went through similar to you? Yeah, absolutely. And even while I was in the process of writing it, you know, um, I would never get any further than the phrase postnatal depression. You know, my hairdresser would ask, oh, oh, you're writing a book, what are you writing about? And i say, well, you know, in part it's about postnatal depression and she would be off, you know, my sister had that or everybody has a sister or an aunt. My friend went through that, we don't talk about it enough, it's awful, you know, I didn't know anything about it until I had it. I feel like I talk about postnatal depression all the time, but in fact what I hear from others is that it's, it's a pervasive silence in their own lives And I think just giving voice to some of the pressures that can be felt in that time, it does help. If you you think about, you know, we're advanced human beings and modern societies, the way we procreate is pretty, it's it's pretty raw. (laughs) (laughs) It's really raw. It's um, totally primal and unfair in a way I mean I think that's something that a lot of women come up against the fact that after you've had a baby 
it's almost always going to be the woman doing the bulk of the biologically you know necessary work all of a sudden that inequity makes itself felt in a really primal way you might think that you're an advanced human being living in a socially culturally sophisticated society but when it comes to get up at four o'clock in the morning it's just very much well you're a body with breasts so you have to do the work and do you think, you know, as a whole society it just doesn't acknowledge that still? For sure. I think it's really difficult because we've got this strange schism whereby on the one hand there's all of this Instagram-esque perfect um, constant photo shoot style fetishization of having a lovely infant to have and to hold. You know, everyone has a pregnancy photo shoot now Uh, celebrities always debut their babies (laughs) and they look beautiful and they're so perfect and babies are everywhere in the media seemingly you know we've gotten past a point where Demi Moore on the cover of Vanity Fair was shocking because nobody ever saw a pregnant woman it was only 20 years ago or something and now pregnant bodies are everywhere and babies are everywhere and we're talking about them and that's wonderful because they're so much a part of life you know almost everybody is going to if not have a family themselves like know somebody close to them who's going to have a child and so I think it's wonderful that we no longer really uh, pretend that women just go away and come back five years later into the workplace or whatever and nothing has changed. Now the format of this book series of essays short stories tell me about the writing process. The writing process was pretty elliptical I started after a couple of years of therapy, after I first started getting treatment for the depression and anxiety, and initially I had no real intention of writing something about that period of time, because I felt like it had already taken so much from me, like these these two years of just, ugh, you know, I didn't want the illness to have any more claims on me, I just wanted to go forward. Mm-hmm. But the idea of wasting all that time, not recuperating anything from it, you know, except for a healthy baby, um, I felt as though I needed to delve into it. And the other side of that is I would just sit down to write something totally unrelated and find that I was actually writing about parenthood. I was actually writing about pregnancy. It just seemed to want to come out. It was corrupting everything that I did. So I felt that, you know, if I gave it a book and then put it on the shelf, it would be done. And I wouldn't have to feel as though everything I was trying to express came back to this experience that was fundamentally so formative. The process itself, was that therapeutic? Nah. (laughs) No, I mean, the therapy was therapeutic. The process itself was um, tricky. Uh, I assembled most of the essay frameworks from notes on my phone that I wrote at the park. And when I was walking on and around, if you fell asleep in the pusher, I'd, you know, stop and keep it rocking with my foot and I'd open up my phone and just get down a couple of paragraphs and then I'd keep going. Um, All the essays are quite, as I said, elliptical and they really resist um, a linear narrative and A goes to B. What I wanted to do with them, I suppose, is just pull out questions that I felt had resonance with one another and see how that resonance played out and what it could bring from myself or where it clanged up against something that turned out to be a societal expectation or a political, you know, um, a political imperative. Who do you read? 
Uh, I read, at the moment I'm reading L.M. Montgomery really voraciously because I've been over her journals recently and they're fascinating. Uh, Rumor Godden is one of my favourite authors. They're, I mean, they're almost all like dead women, um, <laughs> Agatha Christie and Naomi Marsh. Uh, for contemporary authors, I really love Katsu Ishiguro, mm-hmm. I guess because he has that same sort of elliptical style in that often a story seems very simple, but as you start to get into it, uh, the narrative shifts a little bit. You know, this idea of recurrent or, um, I suppose, simultaneous subjectivities, none of which really holds the, the truth of the story. I find that a very easy mode to read because... I just find that the single story doesn't really do it for me at the moment. Now, obviously we're at the Sydney Jewish Writers Festival. What's your relationship with Judaism? Oi. (laughs) Which seems like the answer to everything. I've got a really complex relationship. My grandparents um, on my father's side are Hungarian Jews. They're Holocaust survivors and they're really orthodox. I mean, my my late grandfather was really drove that. Uh, and so when my dad married out, um, it was a whole, uh, from reports, it was World War Three, And we were brought up in a very secular environment. My mum was Church of England. She doesn't really believe in God, she says. My dad left shul at 17 or so anyway. We always did the high holidays uh, as well as having Easter and um, Christmas. But I didn't have any really foundational Jewish upbringing at all, and it's only been quite late in my life that I've felt confident talking of myself as a Jew, as someone who is Jewish, because my grandmother still won't acknowledge that I am or can be. Yes, I think I had a profile in the paper recently, and she said to my mother, Susie, you know, why does it say she's Jewish? She can't be Jewish if you're not Jewish. I I internalised that so early Mm. that I felt a bit of guilt about wanting in, you know. I can't be part of the club. Yeah, you've inherited the Jewish guilt. I've inherited the guilt. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's such a complex thing, but I suppose part of of it is the whole Holocaust background, the transgenerational trauma as well. Coming back to postpartum depression, do you think... You know, there's things that society, the healthcare industry, can do to sort of mitigate against it, or is there some, is it just a predisposition that you can't really mitigate against? Oh God, absolutely. The healthcare system could be and should be doing much more. Uh, I read in the paper a few days ago that uh, the government will now be giving Medicare. Uh, sessions to women from November who are pregnant as part of a pre-screening, which is fantastic, but it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's needed. The fact that you can only see a psychologist for six to ten sessions per year under the Medicare system when people are in crisis, so, you know, it takes them from hour to hour or sometimes minute to minute, is just shocking. And one of the most horrible aspects of having postpartum depression and anxiety of course, is having the responsibility of caring for a child, keeping it alive. There are a few mother and baby units around the country, maybe six in Victoria, one bed in Tasmania, maybe one ward in Canberra. And this is for an illness that affects approximately 100,000 women a year. The waiting lists to get into these units are like 24, 36 weeks 
by which time you have ch- changed, your child has changed, you've passed through the crisis, you know, hopefully. But if you don't have the facilities to seek private care or private psychiatric care, you are just on your own. Obviously, there is a big biological element and no one really knows how to predict that. Half of all women who suffer from postnatal depression have never experienced depression or anxiety anyway. So they're already at the disadvantage of not knowing what to look for or what help to seek. It's just a shambles. And having a child is not a, like, you're not outside the bell curve in any way. You know, this is a very mainstream preoccupation. But the healthcare industry is not treating it as a mainstream illness at all. You think of the way that cancer is fundraised for and talked about as a a terrible inevitability that will strike down one in so many people. That's what this illness is, and yet it's really swept under the rug phenomenally because the government thus far has not committed the resources, and I just get so pissed off about that. Definitely government ministers listening to this podcast. I should hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica, thank you for being part of the podcast. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And for those that haven't had a chance to grab a copy of Things That Help, available bookstores, online, grab a copy now. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the 2017 Shalom Sydney Jewish Writers Festival. To find out more about Shalom's exciting programs and events, go to www.shalom.edu.au or like us on Facebook at Shalom Australia. Are you interested in getting a podcast made for your company or organisation? Contact Rob at rob at etals etales.com.au or 0404 289 956